0: Have you ever made an oath? An oath is a solemn promise that we make about our future actions, words, and behaviors. Well, we as people, we make oaths, vows, and promises all the time. For example, we do this when we marry, when we testify in court, when we pledge allegiance to the flag, when we join the army, when we become a doctor or a lawyer, etc. Now, While it can be argued that oaths were more prevalent in biblical times, our culture still makes oaths today. However, today it's mostly in a professional capacity. For example, doctors and nurses, they take the Hippocratic Oath uh, before they begin their practice. This essentially is where they take an oath to do no harm, not to play God with people's lives, and to respect people's privacy. Attorneys take an oath to follow the ethical rules of the jurisdiction in which they're licensed. Um, Politicians take an oath of office promising to protect and preserve and defend the Constitution. Uh, People who want to become citizens of the United States are required to take an oath. And of course, anyone who testifies in court uh, takes an oath when they say they swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help them God. So, oaths normally invoke God as a guarantee of our word. And when we make an oath, we do it before God. And there's an important reason why this is the case, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But I want you to think about the consequence of breaking an oath for just a minute. Uh, Doctors and nurses are held accountable by by, uh, medical boards, and um, these medical boards have the power to deny or reinstate their medical licenses. Uh, Attorneys are held accountable by the State Bar Association, which can revoke their license when they feel that they've broken their oath. Politicians are held accountable by the U.S. Supreme Court and the judicial system. We are held accountable when we testify in court by law, uh, lest we could be charged with perjury and be punished. Now, uh, there's an interesting study that I read by Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor. And uh, it was essentially just talking about whether or not we should take oaths. And, it, and it's based off of Matthew chapter 5, verses 30-37, through 37, where Jesus says, Again, you've heard that the ancients of old were told that you should not make any false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you not, not to make an oath at all. Either by heaven, or uh, for it is the throne of God; or by earth, for it is the footstool of His feet; or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Nor should you make an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair of your uh, head one hair of your head white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Now, in Mark Driscoll's article, he talks about how Jesus' message is pretty straightforward here. Uh, People should tell the truth, and if we all did that, well, then oaths wouldn't be necessary. However, as he points out, we not only live in a fallen world where oaths and vows seem to be necessary today, but there are several places in the Old Testament and New Testament where oaths are taken, even after Jesus said this. Now, we're going to look at some examples of of some oaths, especially one today in, in the book of Hebrews. Before we go there, I just want to say that Pastor Driscoll not only presents this information that oaths in Jesus' day were going uh, you know they were given haphazardly, uh, but there are typically two common views regarding this passage. The first, of course, being that Jesus rejects all oaths, and the strength in this view is to take Jesus' literal words or words literally—that he meant what he said. Uh, the weakness in this system is that not only did the authors of the New Testament take oaths, that Jesus also took an oath at the end of Matthew. Caiaphas told uh, Jesus in Matthew twenty-six sixty-three, "I adjure you." By the living God, that you should tell us whether or not you are the Christ, the Son of God. What Caiaphas is doing here is he's holding accountable by the law under oath to answer him. And Jesus did. So it could be argued that this is not what Jesus meant when he said, do not take an oath. The second view is that Jesus rejected the abuse of oaths. Now, um, Maybe this is the case. Uh, the, the weakness of this, obviously, is that you can't take Jesus literally here. But the strength in this is to believe that Jesus wasn't saying, don't take an oath, that that's not necessary, but that a person needs to understand what an oath actually is. The, the idea is that a person should learn to be truthful rather than relying on an oath or a vow. Uh, for example, people could say, well, I don't have to be truthful. I didn't take an oath here. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were using oaths as a means to manipulate people. They did it here with Jesus, like, I'm holding you under oath. Tell us where you're the Son of God. So essentially an oath wouldn't be needed if people would just say what they mean and mean what they say. Thus, oaths should be taken very seriously before God. I think further study on oaths uh, could be very, very beneficial to us. I think it's very interesting because um, there still might not be some solid ground that we can stand on there. However, today we're going to proceed on our study in the book of Hebrews. Last week on our study in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1-8, through we addressed the issue of whether or not a person can lose their salvation. Now, if you were here, then you'll know that I don't believe that it's possible that we can lose our salvation, and I want to get into further evidence today as to why that's the case. Regardless of my stance on the issue, I don't think that you should just take my word for it scripture is clear that each person must work out their own salvation with fear and trembling scripture i believe can speak for itself however what scripture can't do is contradict itself so if we ever see a contradiction we should take it to the lord and ask him to help us to resolve it because the problem isn't in scripture contradicting itself but in our interpretation of scripture now last week we looked at some bible verses that seemed to say something contradicting regarding whether or not a person can lose their salvation and uh, we also looked at the author of Hebrews' point that if a person could lose their salvation, well, then they can't ever get it back. So if you're struggling with this concept, uh, I would encourage you to begin your investigation. Uh, not that I want to indoctrinate you, but where I would start if I were you is with the verse Ephesians 1.4, which says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And I'm to ask you this question. If God chose us, could we unchoose Him? Would He unchoose us? Um, we didn't choose God, God chose us Also you might look at Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 Which says God is not a human and that he should lie Not a human being that he should change his mind He Does does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Now that last part especially is going to be important Because we're going to have to move forward in our study today uh, If you'd like to discuss that topic further Then I'd like to make myself available to you Today we're going to look at Hebrews 6, 9 through 20 and I just want you to trust me when I say there's a lot to unpack here. Before we jump in, I want to bring your attention back to the idea of taking an oath before God. What does it mean when we do it, and should we do it or not? Because when, as we read, what we're going to see is regardless how we feel about oath-taking, God takes an oath himself. And I want to read that in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9-20. through 20. So if you have your copy of Scripture, I'm going to ask you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9-20, through 20, because this is what it says. But, beloved... We are convinced of a better, uh, better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust as to forget your work to love uh, which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and in, in, in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise." For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waiting, he waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end to every dispute. So, the same way, God, desiring to even more to show the heirs of promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge uh, who would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul is a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So let's uh, let's pray, Father God. We come here now, and as we've opened up Your Word, and uh, it might be confusing to many of us. It's confusing to me, God. I just pray that You would just enlighten us, enable us to understand, and Father, just to get a uh, translation and an interpretation. Uh, that is according to your will and father not according to ours help us to take off any lenses that we might have anything. That's not correct uh, Any hardened hearts that we have God I ask that you just you break down our barriers break down our walls and father You just communicate your truth to us father. We love you and just ask for your guidance and direct uh, Direction and father all these things we pray in Jesus name. Amen so um, As we look at this passage of Scripture, I I left my notes somewhere, and I don't know what I did with it. Oh, here we go. Um, The author of Hebrews is clear in this passage that he wants his audience to be people who take hold of hope in God. And in Hebrews 6, uh, 7, and 8, he talks about people who have had their hearts prepared by God to receive the message, and they produce a crop, which God wants for all of us. And those who haven't had their hearts prepared by God, and they trade the message of the gospel for the worries of this life. He says they produce thorns and thistles rather than fruit. And in verse 9, he says, we want better for you, beloved, than that. As God's people, we are called to bear fruit, to move past selfish immaturity and towards unselfish maturity. And if you notice in verse 9, he talks about wanting them to have the things that accompany salvation. Now, um, this directly contradicts the belief that Jesus just came to save us. Yes, he came to give us eternal life, but he also came to give us an abundant life. There are things that should accompany salvation, and we're going to get into what those things are in just a second. Before we jump into that, in order to understand the next verse, I think it's important that we remember what the author has recently said to these people. If you remember in chapter 5, he told them how frustrated he was that they weren't moving along in their maturity. He was essentially They were essentially a bunch of babies who stopped growing. They wanted milk and not meat. Now, could you imagine how they might respond to something like that? I mean, how would you respond to that? I would get defensive. In fact, uh, my wife Erin once told me while we were dating John, I don't see any evidence of your salvation. And when someone tells you that, the last thing you want to say, Oh, thank you so much for telling me that. Uh, you might say that, but it's in a sarcastic way. No, you want to start jumping to the examples uh, to prove them wrong you get defensive now in my my issue you know there with Aaron telling me that she didn't see any evidence of my salvation I tried to jump to some <laughs> evidence but I couldn't think of any so that caused me to reflect on that and God did his work so in, in today's passage the author of Hebrews is jumping to their defense for them when he says God is not so unjust as to forget the work of the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the Saints the author is changing tone in this passage from a message of warning to a message of encouragement. He's telling them, I know that you've been working hard to love God's people. This, by the way, is the true expression of love for God. That if you love God's name, you will love in his name. Thus, you will love him by loving his people. James one twenty seven says, Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world god will not forget even the slightest act of love done in his name towards his people jesus said it this way in matthew 10 42 and whoever in the name of a disciple gives the one of these little ones even a cup of water to drink a cup of cold water truly i say to you he will not lose his reward so the author isn't accusing them of not being saved he's not saying well god's forgotten about all the stuff you did or all that stuff doesn't matter He knows all that stuff matters. He knows that they love God because they've shown love for his people. That's evidence of their salvation. What he's calling them to do is to recognize that all that work wasn't for nothing and that there is something great that they need to take hold of and to take with them on their journey uh, with God. He says in verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. See, this passage is speaking directly to the assurance of salvation, which I think is incredibly interesting after a passage that causes us to question whether or not we can lose our salvation. It's important that we keep in mind that this was a group of people who surrendered to faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but they were considering whether or not they should go back to Judaism. They loved God, yes, but they just didn't want their lives to be full of strife and heartache, and I can't say I could blame them. There's nothing wrong with that desire. However, what he's telling them is, is that just like you showed great diligence in showing love to God's people, show great diligence in laying hold of the full assurance of hope until the end. The doctrine of assurance of salvation is biblical, to be sure. However, there's a pitfall that people can typically fall into whenever we begin addressing it. See, assurance of salvation isn't when you feel like you're saved. It's not looking inward and going, mm, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm saved, I, I, I have to be. The assurance of salvation isn't found by looking inward. It's found by looking upward and believing that the promise of salvation has come through Christ and is coming now through Christ and will come through Christ. That we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. This is what the author is going to continue to address in this passage. He tells him, do this. Lay hold of that promise, right? Do this so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith And patience inherit the promises. So what I believe he's essentially saying is, guys, don't be dumb here. Rather, look around and see all the followers of Christ who through faith and patience have taken hold of the promises of God. Look at the Old Testament. You remember how he said there are things that, that accompany salvation? Salvation is amazing, absolutely. However, you don't just get salvation from God. Because you're his children, you inherit promises from God. To his children. No, we weren't born into his family, but we are adopted into his family, and we can refer to him as Abba, Father. We get to uh, take hold of those promises, and we'll get to what those promises are in just a second. Before we do, it's important that we keep in mind that what we're supposed to do with God's promises. See, the author recounts one of the most important promises that God made in the Old Testament to Abraham. He says in verses 13 through 14, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore to himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. Now, sometimes we can look at a promise of God and say, God, I'm waiting for you to give me this, and you promised you would. So, what's the deal? Why don't I have it yet? God, you're supposed to keep your promise. Now, it's as if we think that we get to hold God accountable. God said it, so I'm holding him to it. But see, that's not a biblical way to approach God's promises because God doesn't answer to you and me. We answer to him. The author talks about how when we swear an oath, we swear to someone greater than ourselves. Now, why would we do that? We do that because we're telling others that they can trust what we're saying because someone bigger and better is holding us accountable to our promise that if I try to renege on this that you're going to hold me accountable see I, I'm I'm promising you that I'm going to pay this money and the bank is going to take me to you know court if I don't you know like what whatever is this person or this organization is bigger than me and they could crush me if I don't do it and that's the way that we typically would take an oath. And so what he's saying here is that God made an oath. God swore. God gave a promise. But who is God going to swear to? I mean, what's greater than God? No one is greater than God. Nothing is greater than God. So God swore to himself. Now, this is important when looking at the promises of God because we don't hold God accountable to his promises. We trust that God is holding himself accountable and we don't get to hold him accountable of whether or not he's holding himself accountable because god doesn't answer to us now which is interesting this is interesting when you start investigating how jesus said let your yes be yes and your no be no because we are imitating god when we do what we say and have integrity that we don't have to be held accountable by someone else that we're holding ourselves accountable so i I think that's interesting maybe that's uh, a way to understand what jesus said God made a promise to Abraham, and here comes his point in verses 15. He says, and so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. God made a promise that he would make Abraham the father of a great nation. And he made this promise to Abraham when Abraham was 75 years old. Here's some uh, quick Bible trivia for you. How old was Abraham whenever God delivered on that promise? How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? Do 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 do. He was a hundred. So for 25 years, he waited for God to deliver on His promise. Now this is important because God doesn't work off our timetable. We might feel like God broke His promise to me because He hasn't given me what I want when I want it. But see, God brings about His promise in God's time. Abraham trusted God for 25 years before he ever saw a glimmer of hope. And we need to learn how to be patient with God. We need to learn to trust God even when it doesn't seem like he's giving us what we want when we want it. We have to trust that he knows better and that God's promises aren't always immediate, but they are certain. They are sure. Sometimes they're immediate, but most of the time they aren't. But whether they're immediate or not, they are always certain and they are always sure. The author reminds these people that, uh, that when we swear, we swear to someone greater than ourselves. And in this way, God wanted to give his people something they could trust. And so, he took a promise and an oath. And God tells us that we can take his promise to the bank, for it is impossible to God, for God to lie. But what is the promise? He says it in verse 18, it is the hope set before us. That just like Abraham trusted in God to save him, forgive him of his sins to let him be his people, that we get to do the very same thing through Christ. We take hold of the promise because God has made it possible for us to take hold of. We have assurance of our salvation, not because we feel saved, but because God has given it to us and has adopted us as his children. So in short, we can know that we are saved because we can trust God. This assurance of hope, as he says, is an anchor of the soul now the purpose of an anchor is to keep a vessel from moving while it lays on the surface of the water. It's something that will keep us firm in our faith, regardless of what things are going like upon the surface. You could have a, a you know just still waters; you're not going to move. You could have a massive storm that threatens to overtake you, but you're not going to move because that anchor holds you firm. We can stand firm in God because He has given us this anchor for our souls. He has assured us that we are His. And if we trust in Him, we can look forward to that promise. Now the last part of this passage talks about how Jesus proceeds through the veil. And in this, we see another promise of God. And what the author is saying is that Christ, through Christ, we will always have access to the Father. Now this is a tremendous promise. I mean, do you realize that in the Old Testament, Um, The only way a person could have access to God is to go to the Holy of Holies. And if you couldn't do that, because only one person got to do that once a year, you would have to go through the high priest. And you probably didn't even have access to the high priest. You had to go through a priest that could get you to a high priest. So they would have to travel, sometimes hundreds, maybe thousands of miles, to speak to someone who could speak on their behalf. But Jesus is the mediator of our faith who gives us access to God whenever, wherever, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we can take that for granted. We have access to God whenever, wherever we want. And that's something that God gives us through Christ. You know, whenever I was a kid, I went to public school and by the time I got home from school all the cartoons were over. I hated it. You know, I had to ride the bus and so I didn't get home until like I don't know, like five thirty, sometimes six o'clock at night. We lived far off in the country. Uh, We had to get up early at like 6.30 in the morning to ride the bus to school. And I always missed the cartoons and I always hated that. Uh, Because, you know, 6 o'clock at night, that's whenever parents usually get home from work. And so the cartoons are over. If I wanted to watch cartoons, I had to get up early Saturday morning which by the by the way was my only day to get to sleep in because I had to go to church on Sunday and then to school 5 days a week so if I wanted to watch cartoons I had to get up early on Saturday morning and sacrifice my one day of rest so today my kids they get to watch whatever cartoons they want whenever they want through the power of Netflix I mean it is entirely whenever they want. They, they they can they can watch the whole season if they want. They don't just get to watch one episode. They literally get to watch whatever they want whenever they want within reason. And they don't even realize how how much I would have killed to have that as a kid. You know, we don't even realize some beautiful things that we have been given. Not Netflix. Promises of God. We get to go to God whenever, wherever. And this is a tremendous promise that, honestly, I often take for granted. And listen, this has only been made possible through Christ. This concept was still new for these people that that the author of Hebrews is talking to them about. You know, we've grown up with it, which is why we often take it for granted. We have so many promises in God. That God has promised to stay with us no matter what. That we have a Lord who will never leave us and never forsake us. That we have a God who will give wisdom when we ask for it. A God who will help us to resist Satan's attacks. Uh, who who will give us a way out of temptation. Who will give us a hope and a future with him. Who will use everything for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. You see, it's not that we don't have promises of God that we can't lay hold of. It's that we often don't take hold of them as an anchor for our souls. And if we're going to talk about the promises of God, it would be important that we don't take them for granted. Because, as I said, things haven't always been this way. God wants us to count our blessings and to see Him as the giver of those blessings. He also wants us to see the greatest blessings that He has given us is in His Son. Not just salvation. Yes, salvation, absolutely. And it's amazing. But not just salvation. We can know Jesus and we can know that we know Jesus. That is a great promise to lay hold of. God wants us to take with us His promises and accompany our salvation with them. Remember, we don't hold God accountable to those promises. God holds himself accountable. We can trust that God will hold himself accountable because he swore to himself. We can know that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you now and and just ask that you would just teach us to see your promises for the beautiful things that they are. Far be it from us, God, to find a a promise in Scripture and say, Ah, you have to! I'm holding you accountable. Because, God, we know you don't answer to us. But that God... Our assurance of salvation doesn't come from anything inside of us. It comes from a confirmation of understanding who you are and knowing that you will not lie to us, that you love us, that you are holding yourself accountable, and that we can trust you, that you are who you say you are, and you will do what you say you will do. God, there are also promises that we haven't looked at. I know, God, there are many There's some promises that are scary if we reject you. And so, God, I just pray that you would keep us from turning our eyes away from you, from bringing terrible consequences upon ourselves. And, God, um, just show us how to love the way that you have loved us. Um, Help us to see that we can show our love for you and how we love one another. And that, God, um, your promises are for us. That you are for us. And, God, that if you're for us, who could hope to stand against us? Not that you're on our side, but that, God, we're on your side. Because we're surrendering everything over to you. God, I just ask for uh, wisdom and um, help us, Father, to continue our study in Hebrews and to know, God, that um, you have a purpose for all of this and that you're going to use it for our good. Help us to be sharp and to stay close to you, Father. We love you and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.